0: Continuing our study here through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. So we've had kind of an interesting last couple of chapters. We had this amazing miracle that happened in Acts chapter 3 with this man that was lame for 40 years, could miraculously walk. Obviously the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership of the day, did not like that because the man was healed in the name of Jesus. So what happened is they threatened him and they told him not to speak in the name of Jesus. And obviously Peter and John said, we can't do that. So what happens is these amazing signs and wonders and miracles continue to happen. And obviously the Sanhedrin's not going to be happy about that either because it's done in the name of Jesus. And you see these threats continue to grow. Now these threats become very serious. In just a couple short chapters, we're going to have Stephen be martyred. And then a little bit later, James is going to be killed as well. These guys mean business. But what we can learn from today's lesson is this. We see God's moving and power and working in the church. And that should be an encouragement to us to notice that God moves and works. He can still move and do amazing things in our lives today. Yes, there's opposition. But we still know that God is moving and working. So with that being said, let's jump to where we're at here. We're going to pick it up in Acts four. Excuse me, Acts five, verse eleven. Lord willing, time willing. We'll do the rest of this chapter. And we're going to see God's amazing moving. Followed by the persecution and the opposition that comes against that. Verse eleven. So great fear came upon all those all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them and also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. Amazing moving of God going on. think it's interesting. The first description, verse 11, is there's fear. Now, if you like word studies, this word for fear is where we get our English word phobia. So there's this fear of what's going on. Now, this word for fear in biblical terms can mean literally that, you're afraid of something. But it also carries this meaning of a healthy respect or reverence. And that's kind of what's talking about here, is that there's this respect and reverence for who God is. We've said this many times before out here. When you are praying, you get a chance to pray to your father, you get a chance to pray to your brother, to your friend, to your savior. This close, loving relationship. But you're also praying to the creator of the universe, that holds your very breath in His hands. There's a healthy respect, reverence for who that is. It's not a fear of I'm afraid to go to God, but there's a reverence for He is God and I am not. I don't know what the relationship was like with your father growing up. You know, maybe you had a very healthy respect for your dad growing up. I know growing up in the house I lived in that I had a fear of my father and not a fear in the sense of being afraid of him. But a fear, a healthy respect of he was my daddy, and he was the leader of the house. I remember distinctly one time that uh, growing up on a farm, dad asked me to take the tractor and the chopper to go out in the field and chop the field. And I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was wheat stubble or sorghum or something. But he asked me to go chop the field. He swung by in the truck to check in on me. And as I saw him, I turned around to go see him. And I turned sharply with the tractor. And I turned so sharp that the back wheels of the tire rubbed up against the PTO and dad I mean, obviously saw that he came running and saying stop stop and as I'm seeing him running I'm still turning tight PTO begins against the tire not good so as he gets to the tractor he's obviously very you know animated here hey you can't do this you gotta be careful what you're doing I did the most manly thing I could do I broke down and started crying um, I was it was in my early 30's it was difficult to turn there wasn't a fear But there was a healthy respect of, I just did something wrong and I didn't want to let him down. And and the same thing still happens here spiritually with our Heavenly Father. You know, I just had a moment not too long ago where I was just laying in bed at night rethinking the day. And I just basically came to the conclusion of, I'm an idiot. I mean, that's what it came down to. And you're just this sadness and just this, Lord, I let you down because I love him. There's such a respect for him, such a reverence for him that... There's a fear, if you will. So that is a great start here. For the church to move and work, there has to be an understanding of who God is. So as you pray this week, yes, your Savior, your Father, your Friend, but also the Creator of the universe, God that holds your very life in His hands. So, the Lord's moving and working, and we have these amazing things of signs and wonders in verse 12. The word signs can also be translated miracles. And a sign or a miracle is something very simple. This is the definition I use no explanation but God. There's no explanation but God. We joked a couple of weeks ago that we used the word miracle way too much. You know, we're in the NFL playoff season. There's a great comeback two weeks, last week, by the Colts. They called it a miracle. No, that's not a miracle. We use this term miracle a lot. Miracle is no explanation but God. Wonder. The word wonder means to marvel, something strange. The word wonder is when God does a wonder, you sit there and scratch your head and you say, how? How could that be? It just doesn't make sense. You marvel at it. Can you wonder at it? It's something strange. So God uses these amazing signs and wonders. And what did he do? Well, if you look here, we had a lot of different things going on. Verse 15, we have the sick being healed. Verses 16, we have sick again. People tormented by demons being cast out. We have healings going on. It's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Now, depending on what you think, you hear stuff like that. And some of you are, amen. God's still in the business of signs and wonders, and you bet he is. There's other ones of us that hear stuff like that and it makes us feel a little uneasy, a little uncomfortable. I've had people come up to me before and say, why don't we still see signs and wonders and miracles? And my response is, we still do. There's been opportunities out here at church where we've seen people battling physical ailments, and God just touches them. Amen. There's also marriages that shouldn't be together, and they still are. That's a wonder. That's a marvel. It's a miracle. I've seen people that you never thought would get saved get saved. That's a wonder. It's a miracle. That's the Lord moving and working. Why don't we see it? Well, let's go back to verse 11. Do we have a fear of the Lord? Do we really believe the Lord can move and still work? Number two, one of my favorite passages, I believe it's out of Psalm 119. says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things. Sometimes I wonder, do we not see the Lord moving and working because we're not keeping our eyes open to see the Lord moving and working? I have a very unique perspective on a lot of things that happen. I see a lot of bad, but I see a lot of good. And I'm telling you right now, the Lord's still moving and working. And it's an amazing thing to see. And you see this from the early church, these things happening. What's the purpose of these amazing movements of God? The purpose is, verses 15 and 16, to point people towards Jesus Christ. Miracles are never to elevate the man. Miracles are never to elevate the ministry. Miracles are here to elevate the message of Jesus Christ. You've got to remember that. When I see somebody elevating the man or the ministry through the Lord, that makes me very concerned. The purpose of something amazing and wonderful and marvelous is to elevate the message of Jesus Christ. So when these people 2,000 years ago get miraculously healed, and somebody says, how? It wasn't through Peter. It wasn't through John. It was through the name of Jesus. So Jesus gets the glory, gets the credit. God used these amazing things, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. 2 Corinthians 12.12 Corinthians 12 says that it confirmed the apostles. That they would do these signs and wonders. Revela- excuse me, Romans fifteen nineteen. Romans fifteen nineteen said God used these as witnessing tools to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Two thousand years ago, you're battling some deadly illness. You're healed in the name of Jesus. What a great witnessing tool! Look what the Lord did for me. Look what He can do for you. Miracles do not elevate the man or the ministry. They elevate the message of Jesus Christ, and that's what you see. So we have this amazing movement going on in the church. Well, what happens? Verse 17, Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. We're reintroduced here to the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, numerically speaking, were the minority. But they held all the power. The Pharisees were a much larger group. The Pharisees were almost a country club. They had little different groups scattered all over Israel. The Sadducees were lower in number... But they had more power, more influence. And you've heard us joke about this before. How do you know the difference between them? The Sadducees did not believe in angels, resurrection, miracles, signs, wonders. So what happens is, as the church, as these amazing things are happening, who's going to get upset with them? The Sadducees are. Because now there's healings going on. There's amazing things moving and working. And the Sadducees do not believe in anything supernatural. And as we've joked before, they are sad, you see, because they do not believe in anything supernatural. Great way to remember that. So it's fascinating here that the Sadducees get upset because they're doing all these amazing things through the name of Jesus. What do they do? They put him in prison. Look what happens, verse 19. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So here's this group of people, the Sadducees, that do not believe in anything supernatural. No resurrection, no miracles, no angels. And they arrest them, they're thrown in prison. And who breaks them out of prison? An angel. Now God is one of the most sarcastic gods I think I've ever met. And I mean that as a compliment. He uses an angel, supernatural, to break them out of prison to the group of people that don't believe in the supernatural. You know what I see with that? Be careful anytime you say, I will never, because the Lord takes mental note of that. I will never, fill in the blank, serve in the back. Oh, in six months you'll be serving in the back, because that's what the Lord does. I will never share Christ with that person at work. Yeah, the Lord will lead you to do that. I will never forgive them. I will never do that. I will never. The Lord takes note when we say, I will never. So when the Sadducees, Sadducees say, nothing miraculous, God sends an angel to miraculously get them out of prison. That's what the Lord does. And what does the angel tell them? Verse 20, go stand to the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, that's a fascinating statement. These guys were just arrested. And the angel says, now go back. I mean, wouldn't human wisdom say it's time to go start a ministry in Bethlehem? It's time to leave Jerusalem. Things are getting a little too hot here. It's time to move on. As the saying goes, we like to give to the Lord until it hurts. And then once it hurts, we stop. These guys are now threatened here. And they know what's going on. And God says, go right back to the temple and preach. And when did they do it? Verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning. They did it as soon as they could. I was just reading about the shepherds from the Christmas story not too long ago. And as the angel appeared to the shepherds and told them to go to Bethlehem, the Bible says, the shepherd says, we will go now. Now. One of the signs of an obedient Christian is when the Lord lays something on your heart, you do it now, when the Lord does it, there's always an excuse to not do it now. Life is busy, work is busy, school is busy, kids are busy, marriage is busy, don't feel good, don't want to, whatever it is. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, now is the season to do it. The shepherds responded, now. Right here, the next morning, they go. Human wisdom and intellect, once again, would have said, let's move someplace else. Or, hey, let's let this thing die down for a little bit. Yeah, we'll go back to the temple. Oh, Lord, don't worry about us. We're going to go back to the temple and preach. Just give this a couple leaks. Let everything kind of cool down here a little bit. No, they went back the next morning as soon as they could because they were obedient to what the Lord laid on their heart. Don't ever... Drag in obedience to what God has called you to do. What happens in verse 22, But when the officers come, officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. This almost looks like some comedy. You know, they go to get them out of prison to put them on trial for preaching Jesus in the temple. They go to the prison. They can't find them. So now they found out where are they at? Well, look what happens here. Verse 25. Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I mean, how crazy is that? They went right back and started doing exactly what the Lord laid on their heart to do. I love it. They were obedient. Instead of running and fleeing, they took a stand. And as they took that stand, they now are proclaiming Christ. So what do they come? Verse 26. They come and get captured again. Now, from human intellect, this isn't really all that smart. But we're not basing this on human intellect. We're basing this on the Lord's leading. The Lord wants to use this. And he's going to use the difficult times in your life. Because here the message starts to twist. See, the first part of this message is the amazing movement of God and how great that is. The second part of this message is when God is doing amazing things, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be tribulation. How do we handle that? So what do they do? Verse 27, When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God, has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to those who obey Him. Now, verse 28 is one of the greatest compliments you could ever hear. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Wow. Can you imagine if that's what people would say about you? You have filled your place of employment with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. You have filled your family with the doctrine of Jesus. You have filled your house. You have filled your family, your relatives. Wherever you go, you are filling people up with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Paul says later on in the Bible, he is guilty of the blood of no man, which means that anytime the Lord gave him an opportunity to share Christ, he shared it without reservation. Boy, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say I have filled my home with the doctrine of Jesus, this church, the towns around here, this community—boy, but we got more to do, don't we? Through the Lord, we need to fill this with the doctrine of Christ. Sometimes we stumble in that, don't we? Sometimes we are given an opportunity, we don't take it. I remember years ago when Don and I were living in McClure, um, ran into these two guys from the community. The Lord kind of opened a door to share a little bit, and I didn't share as much as I thought I should. Walked back from that, just kicking myself, just absolutely kicking myself for thinking. Why didn't you say this? Why didn't you do that? God opened this door, and just an opportunity lost. Once you know it, a couple of weeks later, they come knock on our apartment door, now with another guy, to continue on the conversation. It was at that point I realized, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's about making sure I'm just open to the message of Christ when God opens the door. See, I put emphasis on me. I missed the opportunity. I didn't say enough. I didn't communicate the gospel clearly enough. It's all about me. No, it's not. It's all about the Holy Spirit moving and working. And the Lord will constantly move through things. And it's not about whether I said it right or I said enough. Was I obedient to what the Holy Spirit asked me to do at that time? If I'm not obedient and I miss an opportunity, guess what the Lord's going to do? He's going to bring somebody else into that person's life. He may bring you back in that person's life. There's been times where I realize I've dropped the ball, and I say, Lord, can you give me another opportunity? Sometimes he does. Other times it's just, Lord, I have to trust that you're going to move somebody else in that person's life to spread the gospel. I want to be able to say, verse 28, I have filled everything I've touched with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Boy, I wish I could say that. Peter's response, We ought to obey God rather than men. That verse has been quoted a lot. Now you've got to remember with that passage, this is not Peter picking a fight. This is not a call to arms. This is a declaration that God's word trumps man's laws. And that hasn't changed. God's word trumps man's laws. Peter right here is simply stating a fact. We are going to obey God rather than obeying man. Now, once again, he's not trying to start a fight because look at his following statements. He's trying to witness to them. Because did you catch what they say in verse 28? They don't ever mention Jesus. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Bring this man's blood on us. It's almost like the guy won't even say Jesus. So what's the first thing Peter does? Verse 30. Jesus. Let's just get the name out. So that's exactly what Peter does. Verse 30, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Verse 31, I'm going to tell you that he's our Savior. Verse 33, I'm going to tell you that the Holy Spirit is moving and working, and that's why these things are happening. We're going to obey God rather than men. We will proclaim the name of Jesus. We will have the Lord keep moving and working through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what they're going to do. What's the response of the Sanhedrin? Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. These guys meant business. A couple months earlier, they killed Jesus. I've already said in two chapters, they kill Stephen, and then they kill James in just a little bit. These guys mean business. When they are threatened, they're going to respond with violence. But here's where it takes an interesting turn. It's verse 34. Then one of the councils stood up, a Pharisee named Gamil, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. We've got to introduce ourselves to this guy, Gamal. Love him. Now, the Bible says later on that this is the guy that taught Paul. And you also know here from verse 33, 34, excuse me, he's a Pharisee. Remember we talked about the Sadducees. They don't believe in anything supernatural, angels, miracles, wonders, healings, etc. Pharisee, though, does. The Pharisees do. So what's he going to say? Verse 35. He said to the men of Israel, Take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And I now say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. What wisdom! I don't know for sure because this is the only recorded words we have of him. He's only mentioned briefly later on when Paul mentions that he was a teacher of his. I hope this guy got saved. This guy has always been one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Just that wisdom that comes out of his mouth of basically simply saying, if this is of God, you can't stop it. You can't. Why have we lost that mindset? Do you realize as Christians we walk around defeated? We just walk around defeated. We turn on the news and morally the nation's going downhill. Morally it's bankrupt. Look at all these awful things that are going on. Yeah, but we still win in the end. You know, marriages are falling apart. Look at all the problems that are happening. People, yeah, we still win in the end. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. We walk around in fear. Fear of everything falling apart. Fear of what's going to happen. Fear of what they are going to do next. Well, who cares what they're going to do next? God wins. You can't stop the movement of God. You can't. But yet as Christians, we walk around defeated. Paul wrote, you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. God wins in the end. And this passage right here reminds me, no matter how dark and gloomy it looks on the outside, you can't stop a movement of God. Look at verse 39 one more time. It is, but if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. I don't know what your personality is, but if you walk around in the gloom and doom and everything's falling apart, you're more than a conqueror in Jesus. You're on the winning side. Yes, it's difficult now. Yes, it's dark now. Yes, it's sad now to see some of the choices that are being made in this nation and this world. But we know how it ends. And that gives us victory in Christ. What an amazing thing here. Now there's a couple other things we can learn from this guy's point. Look at the two guys he mentions. First one, Thudius, there, claiming to be somebody. And Judas, he says he drew away many people after him. Some of your translation says, let a band of revolt. Always be concerned when you see somebody claiming to be somebody and drawing people after them. That is always a concern. Any time I see a ministry or a man or a pastor who is elevating himself over the message of Jesus Christ, that makes me very concerned. Any time I see a ministry more involved with trying to bring people into their ministry than proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, that concerns me. People will come up to me every now and then and say, "Hey, can you check this guy out? What do you think of him? Think of this ministry, So I'll go to their web page and take a look at it. And as soon as you go to their web page, it's just them. They're all over the place. Their bio is all over the place. Everything they've done is all over the place. You've heard us joke out here before. We know that they're amazing, wonderful Christians because they keep telling us how amazing and wonderful they are. Be careful when you run into somebody who just wants to draw people after themselves and be careful about somebody who claimed to be somebody. The longer you walk in the Lord, the more you realize it's not us, it's the Lord. It's not about numbers. It's not about attention. It's not about getting the name of the ministry out there. It's about proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. That is what matters. If you do it after the flesh, it's going to fall apart. What's their response? Verse 40. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It's interesting. If you look up in word forty, in verse 40, where it says that they beaten them, that word means they beat them. That's what happened. This, this, they were beaten. It's, it's starting to go a little rougher here. First time in front of the council, hey, don't talk about them. Second time, beat them. Two chapters later, Stephen chapter 7, will kill you. Now, we don't suffer like that. We don't. But it, it happens, and it happens all over the world. I remember one time hearing a testimony of a missionary talking about uh, going to one of these villages over in Africa and sharing about Christ. And as he was sharing about Christ, the village got upset, brought him into the village circle, and decided to beat him publicly. To make a point out of this. And he said in his testimony as he felt that blood coming down and covering his eyes. He said he couldn't help but smile to realize he was worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. See, we are so weak. We are so weak. We go into work, tell somebody about Jesus. They don't like it. We come back with our tail between our legs and say, woe is me. Oh, man. It's amazing how as Christians we're always walking around wounded and hurt by what people say about us. We win. We're more than conquerors. Maybe the next time we take a spiritual beating, we should count ourselves worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing that is, is that we are privileged to have a small glimpse into what Jesus went through. Like I said, we're in, our physical life is not threatened. It's not. But what people say about us, what people do, names, etc., ostracize, yeah, that's out there. But look at what they went through, and they kept the big picture. And you know what, verse 42? They didn't stop. And daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Physical violence was not going to stop them in any way whatsoever. They had a mission, and they were going to present that. Now, let me ask you this real quick What would stop you from telling people about Jesus? No one will sit with you at lunch anymore, no one will talk to you at work anymore they speak about you behind your back see those are the things that stop us Wow Lord we need to be toughened up a little bit I think sometimes go with you go with me if you will to first Peter please first Peter 4 what can we learn from these final passages here first point we will suffer we will suffer as you're going to first Peter 4 John 16:33. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. When you proclaim Christ and you want to live as a Christian boldly and openly, you will suffer for that. There is no doubt about that. Second point is, though we win. The third point is, we get to suffer. We get to suffer. Look here at 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Let's read what Peter wrote. Peter, the guy that went through this, the guy that took the beating... What does he say about suffering? 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Christians, don't think it's strange when you have to suffer in this world. Don't think it's strange when people don't like what you say. Don't think it's strange that you're going to have difficult days. Don't think it's strange that your health will be affected. That you're going to go through difficult times in your marriage and in your life with your kids, your witness, at work, whatever it is. Don't be shocked by that because God said it would happen. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Rejoice that through this difficult time you have an opportunity to grow in Christ, to grow in your witness, to become a better, stronger person. That is what it is. I mean, our boys are reaching a point now where they love to go out and do physical things. So we try to do some organized physical activities with them and they don't like it. Why? Because it hurts. Well, what would you like to do? Well, can't we do something physical like sit down and play a board game? Uh, No. No, you're missing the perspective here. To physically go out and hopefully make your body stronger and healthier and better there's going to be some physical pain that goes along with that. Spiritually, to make yourself stronger in the Lord, there's going to be some spiritual pain that goes along with that. Look at verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blaspheming, but on your part, he is glorified. Think about that. On their part, he is blaspheming, but on your part, he is glorified. See, I'm blessed anytime someone attacks me. For my walk or stance in the Lord, I've never had to suffer physically for the Lord. There's a lot of little things that just pop up, and anytime something pops up, I always stop and I think, "Okay, Lord, you're using this, you're working this." You know, when Don and I used to have a home phone, and it sounds very archaic here, we used to have our answering machine, um, we'd get these messages from people speaking in this guttural, almost demonic-sounding voice, and they would just leave these messages. And we'd get those messages and we'd hear that. And part of your flesh is like, what is going on? The other part is like, Lord, you're working in that person's heart because they choose to call us to do that. We're blessed. Now as technology has changed, we don't get that. I get phone calls from people who just want to yell and scream and cuss. I get texts at 2 o'clock in the morning which is the most evil, obscene things you can imagine. And every time I get one of those, I stop and I think, first off, I'm blessed. Second off, Lord, you're convicting that person. Because why are they choosing me? They're choosing somebody I hope that represents the Lord and God and Christ. And they're trying to make this point. Do I like it? No, I, I don't like it. But I also stop and I realize, Lord, there's a blessing that comes out of that. And number two, you're working in their life. Just think about that. The next time someone gets ticked at you. For your stance in the Lord. And they say awful, mean, horrible things. What does that mean? It means that they are being convicted by the Spirit. And as they're being convicted by the Spirit, they want to take it out on you. Because you represent Jesus Christ in their lives. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. You will be reproached. You will be persecuted for your stand in the Lord. But look at verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. If you're going to suffer, suffer because you're a Christian. Not because you're a jerk. you got to be careful about that. Years ago, I knew this guy that constantly talked about how he suffered for being a Christian. And I was always persecuted. This guy did not suffer for being a Christian. No one wanted to be around him because he was a jerk. He was. He took it as his stance in the Lord. No one wants to be near me because I'm always boldly proclaiming Jesus. No, no one wants to be around him because he was an awful, mean person. What happens sometimes in verse 15... Murderers, thieves, evildoers, busybodies. Yeah, you should suffer because you're making choices in your life that cause problems in other people's lives. You make a bad choice, which affects other people's lives, so you suffer for that. What Peter is saying is don't walk around saying, well, look at me, I'm suffering, being persecuted for my stance in the Lord. No, if you're doing something dumb in verse 15, you're going to suffer the consequences for that. I've had people come up to me and say, my wife doesn't like talking to me. Why? Because I make a bold stand for the Lord. No, you yell and scream in your house all the time. We may be able to desensitize it, and we may be able to try to make it look better, my stance in the Lord. But just be careful. If you're going to suffer, make sure you're suffering. Why? Verse 14. Because of the name of Jesus Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let them not be ashamed, but let them glorify God in this matter. Because you have an opportunity to be a part of it. You get a chance to glorify the Lord. You get an opportunity to be able to say at work, yes, I suffer in this life, but to God be the glory. Yes, my life is difficult, but to God be the glory. Look at that one more time, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. The next time something difficult happens in your life, and it happens because of who you are in the Lord, do you really stop and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be a light and a witness for you. Thank you for an opportunity to shine for you. To God be the glory. Or, do we play the woe is me? See, we win, guys. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that these difficult times that we have in this world are fun. No, of course not. But it's an opportunity for the Lord to move and work. And as the Lord moves and works, He gets the glory and the message of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Imagine how different Christianity would be if the first time the church suffered persecution in the book of Acts. They said, you're right, you're right, we won't mention Jesus. No. We take a stand. We obey God. We get out there and be a light and a witness in all that we say and do. Because we have the answer to the world's problems. So since we have the answer, we boldly proclaim it. And as we boldly proclaim it, ah, oh, that's when the glory happens. To God be the glory. Marvin, come forward here for the final song. I just want to encourage